one of them in case, that I need, in case I needed it. As Billy Joe walked towards me, towards uh, as he walked towards me at the end of the round, I looked directly in his eyes. We had a little bit of dialogue, only a little bit of dialogue, but it was it was between us. He sits down as he sits down in the corner. Ben Davidson got control and blew over it, blew down his ear up. I let him have his twenty seconds because I knew what was I, I was about to do on the on the state of that eye. So as he sat down, I, I had some, I had some, I had some more dialogue with Billy Joe, and uh, that's private. And then I turned around and I waved, waved the fight off as Billy Joe's trainer and head coach. It's as simple as that. You can't, I can't get any clearer than that. Now Billy Joe needed uh, uh, looking after, and it was my job to do that. And listen, great fighters have done what Billy Joe Saunders has done and been in that position he's been in and they come again. I fought quit because of the the way that it was going, you know. I think he, he was still out of it and I think he didn't know what I didn't think where he knew where he was at at that moment. So you're saying he quit? I think that he quit. Right. I was trying, don't get me wrong. What, what, what about when this one, what about when this one, mine was around? Like I said, I was trying. <laughs> they had promoters that didn't bring them to my side and wouldn't allow me to come to this side unless it was on his turn. Chris, would you have been interested? Before we get to that. If everybody leave the room, if somebody leave the room and me staying here now, I would walk up. That's and you what, won't. That's why I see your talker. You're starting to say all these big words. I'm, I'm starting to take it as disrespect. So we're seven days post Billy Joe and the story hasn't died. In fact, it seems if there was a hole that was being dug last week, it's just got deeper and deeper. And it's a hole that the establishment have made for themselves because this would have been a lot simpler. And that's why I played the, the Mark Tibbs statement as an intro. Because he, he put it to bed pretty quickly. Although in saying that, Jesus, he, he also lifted the lid on a lot of things. But we're a week down the line and it worries me that there's still no clarity around what actually happened that night. We're hearing 101 different stories. And at a time where you just want absolute clarity, in fact, what you really want are the details. And we still don't have the details. So it's hard to really contextualize what happened last week. So the thing is this, when you say someone sustained a fracture, right, it's language that evokes images of something being broken, right? I've had numerous fractures and I've had all kinds of fractures. So I've had spiral fractures. People know what those are like. Um, I've, had a, I've had depressed fractures in both legs, actually, um, and my jaw as well. So that's why my legs are a bit messed up. So I've had depressed fractures. And I've been able to run on with depressed fractures in both legs. Now, had I snapped my leg, could I run? No, because structurally, the integrity of the bone is gone. But when you have a depressed fracture, you can kind of modify. So you end up running on one leg, which then causes problems for the other one. So with depressed fractures, you can do that. With like a spiral fracture, you're yeah, fucked, to be honest with you. It's not great. Now, I'm not an expert on orbital fractures because I haven't had any. But having spoken to my mum, to be honest with you, who's a nurse... There, there are different kinds of fractures. So a fracture is not a fracture. 
And until we get the full debrief, we can't form an opinion. So I don't know if Billy could have carried on. I know there's a certain kind of fracture. I think they call it like a trapdoor fracture where you can get hit. Because remember, the orbital bone isn't just one bone. Just like your, your skull isn't just one bone. It's the fusion of a number of different bones. So with a trapdoor fracture, two, let's just call it two plates, right? Two plates can separate fracture, but then they can come back together, if that makes sense. So it's kind of a fracture, but you haven't affected the, the position of each bone. They just need to fuse back together. Bill could have had a depressed fracture. He could have had a blowout fracture. He could have had anything. And that would indicate to what extent you could carry on because I spent a week looking at people who had fractured eye sockets. And it's often hard to separate. So you don't know if someone sustained a, an eye socket and the huge swelling was a result of the fracture or whether it was a result of other trauma they've received. So it's really, really hard to unpick this without further details. Now, why is all of this really important? It's important because Team Billy Joe, Team Matchroom, Team IFL, Team whoever, we'll call it Team Establishment, they made this important, right? This time last week, I had a very clear view on what I saw. And not everyone agreed with me, and I was okay with that because it was an opinion play. It wasn't based on facts. We weren't given many facts. I didn't think Billy Joe could continue. And, you know, I still don't think so, but I, I did that just assuming that I had gone, like I'd heard, you know, from people who should know. Now, if it were to turn out that, that I hadn't gone, then egg on my face and I feel disappointed, but I can't say until I know more. There were other people who said he quit as soon as the going got tough. And when you stack up that circumstantial evidence, you can understand why someone would say that. Now... How are we still a week down and things have been censored and things have been pulled and, you know, some interviews are allowed on and some interviews aren't allowed on and then you've got to call Ben Davidson to come and clean everything up, you know, with his Sunday service. And this is the bit I don't like about boxing. We already know what happened. Don't come and tell us that what we saw we didn't actually see. That's the disappointing bit about all of this. Because for me... <clears throat> What Mark Tibbs said in this intro was true then, it's true now. He saw something in Bill that meant he couldn't continue. And Mark waved it off. And I think if you track the things Mark has said in the last seven days, he's been pretty consistent. Right? And Mark's been around the sport long enough to know. He would have seen when that punch connected whether it fractured an eye socket, whether it didn't, he would have seen something happen to Billy Joe. That was literally an about turn, full 180 degree. And that gives cause for alarm. Maybe he heard a crack, I don't know. But he would have seen what he... You can't... As a, as a fan or a layperson, you can't substitute these small things that trainers see. They're around their guys day in, day out. Like... You know when something's wrong and you can't even explain it a lot of times, but you know when something is wrong because you've been around that person long enough. You just know their, their natural equilibrium, if that makes sense. So Mark was the guy who had to make that call. 
And he's been consistent. Mark has flown straight in all of this, and I give him credit for that. But what his statement highlighted was he wasn't in control in the corner. How is Mark Tibbs, the head trainer of Billy Joe Saunders, not in control in that corner? How is Ben Davison even allowed to speak? Now, look, I've been in corners in various different roles. I've been the guy giving the instructions. I've been the guy passing the bucket. I've been the guy doing the cleaning and the wiping. I've done, I've done all of those roles. Yeah? In between rounds, I do not speak unless I'm the one who's responsible for speaking. Right? It's, it's as old school as it gets because there should only be one voice in the corner. Right? Let's say you've got a minute, but realistically, you've probably got about 30 seconds, right? Because it's going to take the guy three or four seconds to get there, sit down. Then you've got to clean him off. Got to let him get his breath back. Let him process what's happened in the previous round before you start giving heavy instructions. If Ben Davidson is then using some of that time to push his own agenda, that's worrying. And if I'm Mark, I'm like, how the hell has this been allowed to happen? So... I think someone needs to ask Ben Davison the question, how the hell did you end up in that corner? And it can't just be that, yeah, Billy Joe asked me, because Billy Joe would have probably notified Mark well in advance. But I don't think it's a coincidence that, you know, there was some, there's a significant MTK presence in the United States then, and maybe Ben was there to protect one of their prize investments. I, I don't know, but maybe that was Ben's role, and maybe that role is non-negotiable. But it was disruptive, and there was no harmony in the corner. And you could see from Mark's demeanor, he was fed up. And we didn't need all of this. This should have all been settled on Saturday. People should have been asking the right questions. They should have said, okay, Mark, so you're saying that Ben jumped in this guy's ear. What was Ben doing in there? I don't know. He just showed up one day. Okay, Ben Davidson, what the hell were you doing in this corner? Oh, well, Billy Joe asked me. Did you clear it with Mark Tibbs? Because he's head trainer. And I guess this is just the new way in boxing. Like people don't want to respect the, the old school traditions. But the sum total of it is none of the actors in all of this come up with any credibility. None at all. It doesn't make boxing look good. The, the whitewashing of the story, the censoring of the in-corner audio. Why would you do all of this unless your aim is to protect the value in the fighter. And it goes back to what Eddie Hearn said. Matchroom are in the business of selling stories. Whether it's the story of an individual fight or it's the story of a fighter's career, end-to-end, Matchroom want to control the narrative. He has said that. I'm paraphrasing, but he said that when talking about what he wants to do with the zone. He wants to control the production. He wants to control the story. So all the content that goes out will be controlled. Now, as boxing fans, are you really okay with that? What we loved about boxing, why, why we claim superiority around all the other combat sports like MMA and this, that, and the third, was always this. Boxing is real. Two people fight, they move on. Once we start drifting into this WWE thing, we become like the UFC, where they signpost all these fights months in advance. Do we really want that as boxing fans? I don't know. We want the rawness. We want the reality. We want that truth. And in this fight, we didn't get it. And if this is a benchmark for where Matchroom are taking boxing, I'm not happy with that. Be honest with you. 
I'm really not happy with that. But what we also saw this week, we saw the, the usual talking heads, the usual rent-a-quote mob coming out and professing to know what the right answer was in the situation. Teddy Atlas jumped in and said Billy Joe should have carried on and he should have risked blindness because that's what real warriors do. The guy's an absolute idiot, you know. Ah, that guy grifted a whole career off Kevin Rooney. Like people make out like Teddy Atlas was the brains behind Mike Tyson when in reality he was just the admin guy, man. It was Kevin Rooney that put the work in. And that's why if you see Teddy Atlas hasn't really nailed it with any other fighter. He hasn't taken anyone from scratch and made miracles happen. But he's out there you know, pontificating. And look, he's got a platform. He's got a right to do so. I'm not going to stop him. But to talk about there are some people who would risk blindness. There are some people who would have carried on. And then use the example of Muhammad Ali who broke his jaw. And I'm like, well, breaking your jaw is functionally different to fracturing an eye socket if that's what happened. You know, you can't use other examples where they say things like, well, this guy carried on. Everything's about context. Billy Joe wasn't winning that fight. He definitely wasn't winning that fight. And he really wasn't winning that fight with a single eye. Just go back to the punch that did it. And I should have said this last week. It slipped my mind. If you watch, the reason Billy Joe ended up in that position is what I call a lack of precision in your defensive patterns. Now, when you've been fighting people, you're better than you can get away with what he did. If you remember, he dips to his left and Canelo throws that right uppercut. Had he kept his structure and put his left hand in front of his face as he went down, he'd have caught that shot on his glove. Just that small adjustment. Instead, if you look, when he goes down, he's got his right glove over his left glove. You know, that's the sort of precision where good trainers earn their money. I wouldn't, I wouldn't allow people to do that. Why? Because that situation's happened to me. So I'll yeah, to give a story. I can remember Courtney Bennett fighting in the, in the novice championship final. And he fought Big Solomon Dakers. I can't say his surname, but he had his debut last night on the Matchroom Show, Big Solly. Congratulations to him. I think he's, he's a hell of a boxer, actually. But I used to warn Courtney... Don't just dip down without putting a hand in front of your face. Because you never know what's going to be down there. And he's done that. He's thrown a right hand and he's gone to dip down and Solomon's just thrown an uppercut just by chance. And it's connected the right way at the right time. Bam. 30 seconds later, the fight was done. One kid went on to GB, the other didn't. I still live with that. That still hurts me. I've watched that moment hundreds of times, I was going to say thousands, it's not that high. And that's why I'm so obsessive with that precision. Do not put yourself in a position where that one in a million shot can happen. And Bill did that. And that wasn't a hard punch by Canelo. If you watch it, he hasn't even got full leverage into that uppercut. He's just kind of thrown it. And so it's one of those one in a thousand things that happen in a fight where you're like, oh man, that feels like a lot of bad luck, a bit of bad positioning, and a bit of laziness. But, you know, the things you can do if you just sharpen up your positions, I mean, and that's the difference between Billy Joe and Canelo. I don't believe you'd ever catch Canelo like that. Comes back to the point. What are the British trainers teaching their guys? 
they're not teaching them this precision. Like the one guy I can name who, who would have picked up on that immediately is Richard Towers. He sees those little things. That's why I've got a lot of time for him. So, yeah, with a bit of precision, Bill could have helped himself. But just to come back to the point, these talking heads, Teddy Atlas, rah, 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 rah. He had something to say. Spencer Theron, rah, you get me, rah, rah. He had something to say. Everyone's got something to say. The MMA lot jumped in. Bisping was talking about he fought with a fractured eye socket. And look, I'm not going to pretend that he's talking nonsense. I don't think he is. But I'd rather go into another round of an MMA fight with a fractured eye socket than box Canelo with a fractured eye socket. And there are a number of reasons why. And I'm not here to say that MMA is easier. I don't think it is. What I am here to say is they do not hit as hard as boxers do. They don't. And they don't go to the head as often as boxers do. Because there are so many other ways you can attack. And also just focusing on the head makes you vulnerable elsewhere. You can still win a fight with a fractured eye socket in MMA. In boxing, it's almost impossible. You can't defend yourself for, what did he have after that? Four more rounds, 9, 10, 11, 12. You weren't going to defend yourself against Canelo with that. No chance in hell. That's the difference. That's why I don't want to hear people saying, well, MMA guys carry on. I would. In an MMA situation, I understand why you would, because you can take it to the ground. You can do other things. In boxing, you've got to stand up, and your face is always in that target zone. So everyone got their grift on, and I think fair enough, man. If you want to grift, this is the time to grift. But, but we now end up, everything's a mess. Billy Joe's reputation, tatters. Go out on your shield, brother. 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 Go out on this, brother. Wherever that accent came from, zero idea. So Bill's reputation isn't tattered, and it's self-created. Like, when you talk enough nonsense, eventually it catches up to you. Ben Davison's now, you know, that shine's wearing off now. Now it's all looking a bit Machiavellian, isn't it? Like, you know, who is this dark character floating around everyone's camp, piping up and saying stuff? And in the world of boxing, has he earned those stripes? I don't think so, because we haven't seen him take someone from zero. He's essentially a professional babysitter of elite level boxers, which is cool. But listen, winning fights is a lot easier when you've got the creme de la creme. Let's see him take a Nathan Gorman. Let's see him take a Dave Allen and make them world champions. Simple. But his reputation takes a knock. Mark Tibbs' reputation is taking a knock now. Because now you're like, well, where's the leadership? I don't think Jimmy Tibbs would have tolerated any of that nonsense. You know, all of that tape measure in the ring and stuff. And I like Mark Tibbs, I do. But I'm sure Mark's now realizing that when you've got a Bentley convertible and stuff, you don't need this hassle. You don't need this hassle. So that's, I don't even, I wonder if he'll work with Billy Joe again. I suspect that he won't. So that would have been, Dillian's gone. Billy Joe's gone. I'm hearing Daniel Dubois gone before he's even got there. So Mark's had a rough week as well. IFL have taken a shellacking for their censorship, and that's good because Coogan Cassius should never be the thought police of boxing. He said his role is to entertain fans. His role is not to be the thought police. His role is not to control the story. 
So who's going to hold him accountable for doing that? I think that's the worst part of all of this. Coogan can't be... I mean, this doublespeak is nonsense. You can't tell the public you give everyone a platform. And then now you're like, well, we determine what stays and what goes. Unless he doesn't, then be honest and say, look, these aren't my choices. Fair enough. I can accept that. Where does Eddie Hearn come in on this? Actually, he's probably the one who flew the straightest along with Mark. Just, yeah, Bill lost. But he's got Canelo. So he doesn't care. I mean, he, he's, he's riding this Canelo train as far as he can because this Canelo train is generating more money than that Joshua train did. What would be really good, and I think what would really elevate the zone at this point, is if the zone said, we're just going to release the in-corner footage and the public can make their own minds up. That's what I'd like to see. Because we essentially know what we know. We know what we saw. And to, how can I put it? I can accept him going, I don't fancy it anymore. I'm not used to this. I'm not used to being behind to someone better than me. I'm a, I'm a flat track bully. I like to be a front runner. I'm not necessarily a dog in this fight because it's easy to talk about that we're fighting men with this, with that. Canelo's a fighting man. And he showed it. And it was always easy when you're fighting guys you're better than to say you're a fighting man, but you're fighting guys you're miles ahead of. What happens when it's really on you? Are you prepared to be a dog? Tyson Fury showed he was. Yeah? First fight with Wilder, we accused him of running and you know, pickpocketing and doing this and doing that. Second fight, he said, I'm going to show you I'm a fighting man. And he did. So you respect that. We didn't see that from Billy Joe. If Billy does come back, we're going to have to see that. But is he equipped for that? Technically, mentally, spiritually, can he be that dog in a fight? Because... This was the first time we saw Billy Joe have questions asked of him, proper questions asked of him. And it wasn't a good outcome. Eubank Jr. asked some questions towards the end, but Eubank Jr. is not Canelo. And Billy Joe had always put himself in that Golovkin-Canelo camp. What would have happened if a prime Golovkin had got hold of him? Jeez. But comes back to my point. This is what happens when you have a padded record eventually you get found out. He could have had these hard fights before, risked defeat a lot sooner, and he'd have been better prepared for fights like this, but he chose not to. Which is disappointing, but hey, it is precisely what it is. So you sacrificed your O for $3 million. I'm sure Golovkin offered him more back in the day. <laughs> I'm sure. And then you look deeper than that and you go, Hearn has done a hell of a job at decimating British boxing. Like, this is what you call the ultimate scorched earth policy, where he's gone, I want to make sure that whoever comes after me on Sky has nothing to build on. I'm going to let these guys get beaten by Mexicans. I'm going to make these cards so terrible that people are just going to drift away from boxing. And then once I'm with the zone, I'm going to just tell the truth and say, well... Sky wouldn't let me be who I wanted to be. But now that DeZona let me be who I want to be, look at the fights you're going to get. But that puts a lot of pressure on Eddie Hearn as well because he can't give us the rubbish he gave us on Sky. He told us it would be different on DeZone and it better be different. 
You know, but isn't it's brilliant, isn't it? In terms of scorched earth, there's nothing left in British boxing once Hearn wraps up his contract with Sky. There's nothing left. And it'll be so bad that they'll be begging him to come back. And he'll come back on different terms. He'll come back and say, well, okay. But now I want 15 or 20%, not just 5 or 10%. And people have to cough it up. So he's played it smart. He's played the last few months pretty smart. So yeah, credit where credit's due. I haven't really talked about Bellew in a while, but I always like to, to mention the disappearing Tony Bellew because he never fails to disappoint. Guys aren't boxers. If I go onto the pitch on Saturday and play football, does that make me a footballer? It's going to massively damage the sport when someone gets... Mm. So Bell, you loves to say stuff like this, as if Tony Bell, you hasn't done other sports on behalf of charity. I think a few years ago, him and Tony Dodson did like a, a charity race in the swimming pool. You know, I don't remember Bell, you going, I can't swim because I'm not Michael Phelps. Do you see what I mean? He jumped in and he swam against his mate, Tony Dodson. It was competitive and it was for charity. Fair enough. But that's what those guys like KSI and Logan Paul were doing. They were doing a, a, a sport at a, at a pretty low level, but they were at the same level, so they competed. What's wrong with that? You know, this is what I mean about boxing being so self-serving that they forget who they are and what they do. Me a footballer. It's going to massively damage the sport when someone gets hurt. When I interviewed Eddie Hearn recently, he said that Floyd Mayweather was an embarrassment for accepting a fight with Logan Paul. Where do you stand on that? And So Eddie Hearn... <laughs> Does anyone remember KSI Logan Paul 2 and the absolute circus and absolute disaster that was? And now you're going to call Mayweather an embarrassment for taking what you tried to do and elevating it to a proposition that's going to make him 50 million. I can't be mad at that. A more general issue of YouTubers getting involved in boxing. I don't think it's bad for boxing what's going on right now. I don't think it harms it in any way, shape or form. But it's only a matter of time till it does. Because I'll tell you what's going to happen. Someone's going to get hurt. And then boxing becomes the worst sport in the world. These... Hmm. So remember, this is Tony Bellew. This is Tony Bellew who knew well ahead of time that David Hay had had spinal fusion surgery. This is Tony Bellew who knew well ahead of time that David Hay had a bad Achilles and still wanted to make the fight. This is a man who knew for the rematch David wouldn't heal and still wanted that rematch. There's never been a bigger grift in boxing than those two fights. There's never been a bigger grift than that. And he lived off that. Do you remember when he went to Deontay Wilder? I have a better name on my record than you do. And he's saying that YouTubers are going to damage boxing like he hasn't done that already for his own enrichment. This is why I say to you as fans, do not listen to what these boxers say, right? When they step in the ring and they throw punches and take punches and stuff like that, we're not going to comment, right? Do what you have to do. You know that territory better than anyone else. Once they put a microphone in front of these guys, they're fair game because they say the stupidest things, often in their own cause. How long is it till Bellew finds a way to get in on this? Once this becomes a real wave, how long until he gets involved? 
how long till we hear about him fighting Tony Dodson to find out, you know, who was really the best of that generation? You know, how long till he digs all these people out? Till he says, do you know what? I won't mind a few rounds with Carl Froch. How long till all of this stuff happens? Because he'll jump on that wave as sure as night follows day. I promise you that. But what I will say is, a few years from now, when we look at how boxing fell off and how it became mediocre, we'll look back on guys like Bellew who, who triggered this off. Like, you know, all the way back in, was it 2017 when he fought David Hay? That was when we knew the grift was on. Yeah? And that's how all of these pay-per-views have been allowed to happen. It was Mickey Mouse fights. Fights the fans don't really want to see, but will be made to pay for. Why do we even pay for them? Well, why do you guys pay for them? Sorry. Because it's not worth your while. You could do better things on your Saturday evenings. Maybe that's a, that's a clarion call to all of us to, to do better. Make your time so valuable that Sky will have to earn your attention. I go back to yesterday, so I watched the FA Cup final. No hype. You just have to play your games, beat your opponents, you get to a final, right? No rankings, no mandatories, no voluntaries, no site fee in Saudi Arabia, no IFL interviews. They gave us 90 minutes of compelling football. VAR. Was he offside? Was he not offside? Was it handball? Was it not handball? And then you saw the raw emotion at the end of it. That was real drama. Boxing used to give us that. It never needed Coogan. It never needed Michelle Joy Phelps. It never needed Radio Rahim. It never needed um, Danny the harasser Flexen. It didn't need any of that. All it needed were two really good men or women going at it. That's when boxing's been at its best. Tasha Jonas, Katie Taylor, is a prime example. We're killing the sport by not sticking to its truest traditions, which are hard fights make for great fights. It's as simple as that. So in terms of the matchroom card um, Saturday, didn't watch it, not going to lie. Thorough waste of my time, so I just took the time to rest and nap. I had allergic reaction, so my lesson for anyone... <laughs> Don't train heavy and fast during Ramadan. Like the two don't go together. Eventually your body just throws a middle finger at you and you end up with a full body rash. So it wasn't pleasant. But luckily, COVID negative. So never had COVID. Immune system solid. I give thanks for that. But I saw the Joshua Boatsy knockout of whoever the guy was, man. He wasn't, he, wasn't he like the fifth best light heavyweight in France? And we're allowing these kinds of mismatches. And that was a headline event. Like, that was the main event of a matchroom card. And, and you know Cougar's not going to go, Eddie, aren't you embarrassed by that? He's not going to do that. He should, but he's not going to do that. That's why I didn't watch it. I didn't want to give him the view. That was embarrassing to watch. Now the guy sat in the back crying. Why is he crying? He's crying because, like, I'm sure he wasn't meant to get iced like that humiliated in front of his family and then I saw Twitter going mad going Joshua Bartz he's the best light heavyweight I'm like he's not the best light heavyweight in South London he hasn't got the best resume in South London I, when are people going to give Craig Richards his respect when are people going to give Dan Aziz his respect when are they going to give these guys the respect they deserve we can't keep trading off the Olympic bronze medal 
I, I, and I'm not positive or negative on Joshua Guazzi. I'm saying this. As someone who's watched the sport grow over the last few years, the level of respect afforded to Dan Aziz and Craig Richards has been disgraceful. Because these are guys who, who show up and aren't afraid to be challenged. Their opponents aren't cherry-picked. They're not getting paid six-figure sums to fight the 11th best light heavyweight in Uganda. They're not. So when people say, why isn't Boatsy being stepped up? Because they're paying him too much from what I'm hearing. So they have to get the cheap opponents for these things to be economic. It, it's a mess. But I imagine on DAZN, you'll start to hear talk about Craig Richards versus Joshua Boatsy because Hearn's keeping all of those fights for when he can make the most money. But as boxing fans, we all need to start respecting Craig Richards because he hasn't gone missing. You know? And people can say, but he lost to Bullioni and he lost to Bivol. When you look at the context of those losses, come on, man. He, he had a week to prepare for Bullioni. And he was, remember, he was boiling down to 168. And they said, can you do it at light heavy? And he stepped up and said, yeah. Then it was Bivol and people were saying Bivol was a savage. And that Craig was out of his depth, wasn't out of his depth. And this is worth remembering. Craig Richards has never been hurt in a fight, never been wobbled, never been dropped. I've never known Craig to get dropped. Now, someone will find an example of him getting dropped. Nah, I know, it's my bad luck. But you've never seen Craig under that kind of pressure in a fight. So it's going to be interesting to see what happens when we do start putting these guys together. Because I think people, you'll either do it now or you'll do it then, but you'll start to say, actually, Craig's good. And then, you know, when, when Dan Aziz starts to, to do his thing, and listen, there are a few technical things Dan could be fixing, and if he did those, ooh, a lot of people are in a lot of trouble, I promise to God. But we need to start giving respect to the people who, who aren't ducking fights, who are putting their hand up saying, I'll fight anybody. That's what we need to be respecting. And if you're not doing that, then what sport do you want? Because surely that's the only game in town. So guys, bear with me. I'm just going to have a quick blitz of probably just things that have been in my inbox that people have been sending. So, you know, just a quick roundup of stuff that's been happening in boxing. So I heard Dubois gone to Shane McGuigan. And I've got to be careful what I say here because Shane doesn't live that far away from me. So I'm going to bump into him down, down by the docks or by the canal and he's going to hold me to account for what I'm saying. But... I don't understand what's happened with Daniel Dubois' career. So if you, if you go back, I, I spoke about this and I said, I didn't understand why you'd go from Martin Bowers to Mark Tibbs. I didn't think you were going to get anything different, right? I stand by that. I also don't think Shane is necessarily the person to get the best out of Daniel Dubois. And there's a good reason why. The best version of Daniel Dubois is a six foot four, 17 stone, combination puncher that's what he is at his best daniel's a guy who who attacks in phases and attacks in combinations why is this important because he may not hurt you with the first two punches but the third and the fourth are going to get you now what's happened over time is he's gone towards being a kind of single and double shot merchant which isn't him intuitively and you can see that when he's boxing because he doesn't look comfortable now, can Shane turn him into a combination puncher? Maybe. 
maybe this is the challenge Shane needed. Maybe this is a chance for him to experiment with stuff that's in his locker that he hasn't had a chance to show yet. I don't know. What I do know is you can't have him boxing that kind of low-risk approach because that's not how Daniel Dubois likes to work. He, he, he wants to take people's heads off. And when you've got a bad eye, or an eye that you may not be 100% confident in, you kind of have to be on the attack. You can't be a counter-punching. You can't be waiting around because you're not, trying to, you're not trying to go 12 rounds and you're not trying to take too much punishment. So you've got to be the guy making the argument in the fight. There aren't many good heavyweight counter-punches. So you don't have to worry about being counter-punched. They don't have that sort of timing because heavyweights don't work on that. So if he can be the guy that comes with the heavy artillery, he'll be hard to beat. But if he's boxing with that kind of risk-free approach, I don't think it works. But this is kind of like the last roll of the dice because if Shane can't get Daniel Dubois to a world title, I don't know if it's going to happen. And I don't like saying that because I think the kid is brilliant. I've got a lot of time for him. I think he's a lovely kid. But it's my worry. As a fan, it's my worry that if this doesn't work, nothing will. And that will see the extinguishing of one of the brightest lights we had in British boxing. And as a reminder that above all else, you need to choose your trainers carefully. Because what they give you at the beginning is normally what carries you through to the end. But I am going to put a request out for everyone listening to this. If you can find Tony Bell, you playing other sports or engaging in other activities that aren't boxing, please tweet them and tag him and go, is Tony Bell your footballer? Or is Tony Bell your swimmer? Or is Tony Bell your ballerina? You know, because like you said, these YouTubers aren't boxers. Let's just find situations that Tony Bell you isn't. Did anyone see Christopher Lovejoy against Manuel Cha? <laughs> I think that's what you call when the grift catches up with you. It's worth watching that fight because it, I didn't know Christopher Lovejoy was that bad. Really didn't know he was that bad. The guy was, what, 300 pounds when he weighed in. And what worried me the most is I saw him hit in the bag in fight week. And he has no power for a guy that's over 20 stone. Like, Dave Allen must be kicking himself because he would have been world ranked had he taken that fight. Ha. It's embarrassing. That is absolutely embarrassing. The whole, I'm 19 and 0, 19 knockouts. No one has ever been in this position before. And he grifted. He grifted for that 200 grand. But is that what boxing's going to become? <laughs> but he was terrible. <laughs> I'll go as far as to say I would have beaten Christopher Lovejoy. Based on what I saw yesterday, I would have beaten Christopher Lovejoy. Because Manuel Charles in box for four years. And as soon as he got him with it, oh, it was just embarrassing to watch. But Christopher Lovejoy's got his money. That's money he would never have made doing anything else. Now, how much of that Don King takes off him, either via check or from lawyer's fees, I have no idea. But you know Don King wants his, his piece of that great American pie. But it's a lesson. Look, if you don't think you're that talented as a boxer, just grift your way onto the world stage. And, <laughs> and that's what you get. But... It's worth watching the, the unraveling of the, the social media myth that is Christopher Lovejoy, which isn't me saying I'm against him. I love the grift, but 
that grift came apart a lot quicker than I thought it would. It's also time to, to congratulate a few people. Our amateurs have been really busy recently, so we've got to give them some love, give them their roses. Um, they're boxing in a tournament. can't even remember where it is now, but I think it's somewhere in Eastern Europe. Uh, God knows. But in a, in a time when we don't even know if the Olympics will happen and we're looking forward to the next generation, you've got to shout out people like Rosie Eccles, who I'd like to see turn pro, actually, but I think she might push for an Olympics. But eh, I'm saying but a lot. <laughs> but shouts out to her. She did her thing. Uh, we had, who else do we have? Kieran McDonald did his thing. Scott Forrest did his thing. Jesus, was he impressive. So Scott Forrest was the guy that I was begging Dennis Hobson to sign because I thought he had something. Him and Callum French were two guys I thought they could really do something in the pros, although they may be famous last words. And yeah, so I wanted to congratulate those guys and also just everyone who meddled in that GB squad. It looked like a strong squad. Um, could have done stronger at heavy, uh, super heavy, but that's just my opinion. But yeah, so GB boxing looking good. I want to congratulate Jermaine Brown for signing with Bill Differently Sports. I don't think there are many boxers in Britain who are as massively underserved promotionally as Jermaine Brown. I think Jermaine Brown's a TV fighter. I think Adam Martin's done a great job with him. Why no one is willing to just put him on there and say, let's just see what this guy does is beyond me. He's worth investing in. That's my opinion. He's still young. His fundamentals are solid. And I mean, he's conditioned, he's strong. And he has a good story because he, he's grafted his way into position. So hopefully he gets that, that backing and that support to win titles because I think he's more than capable. I want to shout out my friend Connor Hines as well. I wish Steve Goodwin would give this kid a break because I think he's the guy in the Goodwin stable that has the most upside in terms of ability to knock people out. I just don't think he's... He hasn't been given that, that, that kind of promotional or managerial love that he needs because he's the kind of guy that you just got to put your arm around him and say, we believe in you, this is what we want to do with you, but this is what we need you to do. Because when he doesn't feel that love, he kind of retreats and he becomes quite relaxed about his training routine and so forth. He needs that love to, to stoke the fire of intensity within him. But yeah, next five years or so, four years, if you really want a middle slash super mid who will give you knockouts, I think Connor Hines might be your guy in the small hall scene. Also want to shout out uh, Kevin Webb, who's just taken over. I think it's like to box, which is down in Red Hill. So uh, always good to see, you know, new blood in the amateur scene. So hopefully that goes well. And it's an amazing run and you produce champions because it's why we're mostly in it. And there's no better feeling. So if you are in the Red Hill area, pop in, you know, show some love, you know, just take in the experience. I just think being in a gym is the best feeling in the world. It takes a while to get used to. But it's absolutely amazing. I also have to shout out Steve Broughton. People call Broughton. I'm going to call him Broughton. Um, so he's training Maz Masood. He's training Natin Gwenya. He trains Big Steph. Uh, I'm probably missing people he's training. He trains Joe Joyce, for God's sake. How did I forget that? He's come a hell of a long way. Like, I remember meeting him in 2015 when he was Shane's assistant. And now he's got his own stable and he's doing his thing. So I've got to shout him out. got to shout out Big Jackie at Shadow Boxer, take the E, R, it's B-O-X-R at the end, but she's as real as they come in the sport. Um, she's trying to do a thing with the boxing interviews, but she's authentic. And a lot of people in the sport, you question where they came from. 
Jackie's cool. Follow her. Twitter at Shadowboxer Class Act. Like, if you want someone to tell you what's really going on, that's 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 your lady right there. So I've got a lot of love and respect for her. Uh, who else do we need to shout out? I'm gonna shout out young Harley, Harley Marshall, still doing his thing with his podcast. Also gonna shout out Porky on his podcast as well. Guys, listen. I know people tell me Porky's a bit a bit hard to get used to, but he's telling it like it is. So my recommendation is tune out of BTG, tune out of Boxing Social, tune out of Seconds Out, just tune out of all of these kind of, I don't even know what they are, propaganda machines, and just jump on Porky's for a few episodes because at least there you get something approaching what you are thinking as fans. All the other stuff is just there for the, for the sponsors and the views, as we found out. Also, shouts out to Prince Patel. Um, I think he's training with Sam Mullins at the moment. And I just hope someone gives him a break as well, because whatever you think of Prince Patel, the kid can fight. And he's shown real fortitude in not letting the lack of opportunities in this country block him. So, you know, I'm a, I'm a Prince Patel fan. I like him as a person. I think he's good. He's always shown me respect. So... I mean, I'm always going to shout him out. Shout out big Isaac Dogbo. Well, little big Isaac Dogbo. The, the smallest super middleweight in the world. You know, he's, he's still out in America, but, you know, he's repping it for, for the Ghanaians out there. And then let me just sign off on this and say, look, shout out to Denzel. Like, I didn't, haven't really spoken too much about Denzel post-Felix Cash because I want to do an episode with him. So I need to catch up with him properly before we do one. But I think we'll do one pretty soon. Same with big Don Smith. I mean, I think it's time. It's time to catch up with a lot of the guys that we spoke to during the lockdown. So we'll get into that 12-month cycle and then Big Larry as well. So there's, there's going to be some fun stuff me and Larry talk about. Um, just, just hope he's up for doing the episode. Now I'm going to wrap up here, guys. But before I go, I didn't talk about Lerone Richards because a lot of times I don't watch his fights. But I still like him as a character. And, you know, maybe he's learning how to entertain fans in other ways now. Hot cross buns, hot cross buns, one a penny, two a penny, hot cross buns. Give them to your daughters, give them to your sons, one a penny, two a penny, hot cross buns.